verse number one. <clears throat> Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life and all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Let's pray. Father, how awesome is your word. How awesome, God, is your truth that you have clearly declared will last the test of time. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning because we want to hear a word from you, a word that is right for this moment, a word that is applicable to what we are experiencing today on this journey of faith that you have placed us on. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us a good listening ear. I pray that this word will fall on good ground. I pray, Lord, that you will transform us on the inside, that, Father, when we leave this place, we will be better than when we came in. And so, Lord, all attention now is on you. You, Father, are the glory. You are the power. You are the anchor, Father. We want to hear from you. God, I thank you that you have chosen to use this vessel to proclaim the riches of your glory through Christ Jesus, your word. We thank you and we praise you. And all God's people said amen. Amen. You can be seated in the Lord's presence this morning. During consecration week, we had taken the time a few weeks back and we prayed for our nation. We took the time to pray and ask for God's uh, direction. We focus on the needs primarily of our country. We pray for our families. We pray for our communities. We prayed that God's will will be done. That God would give us clarity as the people of God. And that we use our biblical influence, I believe, to invade the throne of God for the purposes of God on the earth. Now that the election is over, our nation is filled with mixed emotions. Half of the nation voted for Donald Trump, our new president-elect. Half the nation voted for Hillary Clinton. So if you're sitting here today 
and you are a Trump supporter, a Trump voter, then perhaps you're happy, you're ecstatic, and you feel very, very uh, convinced that God moved, that what God did there was God stayed back his hand, the favor of God is back now upon this nation because Donald Trump, president-elect, got elected on Tuesday. Now, on the flip side of that, if you're a Hillary Clinton supporter, perhaps you're sitting here today and you're, you're full of anger. You're emotional. You're angry. You're irritated. Perhaps you're thinking, God, how did this happen? God, how could you allow this to happen, that, that evil person is now the president of the United States? Nothing raises the emotional temperature in our nation like politics. It's a very, very personal thing. It's privately and it's deeply rooted in how you view your country and what it should look like. So I understand the mixed emotions. I understand the anger. I understand the frustration. I am now witnessing, as many of you, people are so uh, upset about this election that now they're, they're protesting in the streets. People are contemplating whether or not, I don't know seriously or not, but at least it's been discussed, should I even stay in this nation? And, and I understand that there are some who are sitting here today, perhaps you've given up on our nation. I understand all those emotions. But how do you know that God is not silent? God has something to say to us this morning. Because no matter what, and I'm speaking now to the people of God, the church, whether you're sitting here or you're listening by media, no matter what, politics should never divide the church. That was your chance to say amen, and none of you said amen. That goes back to my point, how deep this is, but God's going to meet us there today. So no matter what, politics should never divide the church. Now, Pastor, why do you say that? Because our calling as Christians extends far and beyond who gets, who gets into the White House. You must understand that. When we exalt politics above Jesus and his word, then how many know that we're in trouble? Because the thing that makes the church unique is our common love, our affection, our, our, our commitment to his will. So make no mistake about it. How does the church unify in this moment? How do we unify as the people of God? Is that we focus on Jesus and nothing, nothing surpasses his word. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Nothing. Because what happens is if our emotions lead the way, then our emotions will get us in trouble. So we understand that God has given us a mandate in the earth. We understand that Jesus Christ, no matter what happened, is still in control. And so 
I said a few weeks ago, and I want to say, say it here again, that whatever God does in the earth, specifically whatever God does in America, because we're here, God is going to do through the church. The church is God's authority, is God's vehicle, is God's representative here on earth. The church, that means you, the church. The world then must see a unified church. Though many of us, and sometimes we vote differently, we don't all vote the same, but our vote is not more important than kingdom agenda. Look at your neighbor and say kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God for us. So no matter what, God's plan was not thwarted by what happened on Tuesday. No matter who won. And we all know who won. How many know that that God knew who was going to win the election before the election happened? Now, you were surprised. And there was a lot of folk that were surprised. But how many know that God never one time said, how did this happen? Do you not know that everything that happens in the earth, it first has to come through God? Everything. Look at your neighbor and say everything. Everything that happens, because if your theology is correct, and, and, and I've heard many of you say it, and we say it all the time, we say, we say uh, God is sovereign. God is in control. How many of you believe that? Because if it got by him and he didn't know it, then he ain't really sovereign. All right? So if God is sovereign and if God is in control, God either appointed or allowed this for a particular reason. How many know we don't lose hope? No matter what side of the aisle that you're on. And I'm not promoting anything because the election is over. What I want to do is talk this morning to you who are representatives of Jesus Christ, the people of God, and how we should respond. Because after the election, now what? Because this is the elephant in the room. And how many know we, we, we got to deal with this elephant? But now what? Now that the election is over, because I understand, I see the emotions, and I see all those things that have happened, and I see how the some are excited in the body of Christ, some in the body of Christ is mad. How many know there are no such thing as two bodies of Christ? We are one in Christ, supposedly. Black, white, it doesn't matter what color you are. If you're in Christ, we are one. Look at the neighbor and say, we're one. So the church cannot be divided. Must not be divided. We must take our mantle from the word of God. Whatever God says, how many know that is what we do? That's how we think our worldview is affected by the word of God and not by how you feel or your tradition. And the church ought to say amen to that. Your tradition means nothing when it comes up against the word of God. Dump your tradition and look to the word because the word of God has given us clarity. I say this before you with great conviction. I'm not even slightly exaggerating. I am at peace this morning. 
My attitude never shifted one way or the other. Never does. I'm at peace this morning not because who won the White House. I'm at peace this morning because who's in control. I'm at at peace this morning because Jesus is sitting on the throne. And I gave up. How many know the Bible says you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God? Gary Bailey, that old man, died a long time ago. Now, my passions, my affections is what God, how many of you want what God wants? I want what God wants. That now is what motivates me and what drives me. And I am just as optimistic now as I was before the election happened on Tuesday. Because my hope is in him. My hope is in Christ. So I want to talk to you this morning. I'm going to kind of build this text around the, uh, the election because I, I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying to me that, 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 that he needed to point people back to what's really important. So I understand that I may be dealing with two different kinds of emotions here this morning, but hopefully after you hear the word of God, you would at least agree with the word of God and flow and live and, and, that, and, 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 and communicate with people based upon how God would have us to do it. Now that the election is over, now what? Let's dig into this this morning. So we have Timothy. Uh, we have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These are two letters in the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote to a very young pastor. Timothy, Timothy is the first of two inspired letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy. Timothy was from Lystra which is a city in the Roman province of Galatia, which is really modern-day Turkey. Paul was the spiritual father of Timothy. In other words, Paul was instrumental in leading Timothy to Christ. And we believe that Timothy was somewhere in his late teens or his early 20s when he became pastor of this church over that was uh, in the area of Ephesus. So he was a young man, and if you read the First Timothy and Second Timothy, oftentimes you would see Paul address Timothy's youth because he was a young man. So although this letter was written to Timothy and to the church of Ephesus in those times, how many know that it is applicable to all of us today? Because their letter was written to give some order in the church, some context in terms of how we are to engage, how we are to live our lives, how the church is to function, how we are to communicate with outside forces. Because I want you to understand something, that just as in our day, there was forces that was hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ and Paul's and Timothy's day. There were leadership, there were, there were governments, there were, there were authorities that were oftentimes persecuting believers. So Paul, in this environment, he wrote letters to Timothy. So he said, Timothy, here's how I want you to talk to my people so that they can understand how they are to navigate in this world and particularly to those who are non-believers. So there are some things here that Paul addressed here in First uh, Timothy chapter 2. So I'm going to kind of cover them. So I really want you to follow me this morning. It would be sort of a teaching message, but I want you to stay with me. 
So the first thing that we see is that, that in this particular passage, in, in verse number one, Paul says uh, to Timothy, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. All right. So Paul first, here's what he does. Paul encourages in four areas. First area, he says, is supplications. Now, supplication is a plea with a sense of urgency. That's what supplication means. It's prayer with kind of an urgent feel to it. This is a moment. We're in a time where we really need to see God. There's no time to waste. We got to get at it. That's what supplication means. Prayers is simply, as Paul said there, is speaking directly to God. How many know that God wants us to bring all things to him in prayer? It's an invocation to God. That's what Paul meant when he says prayers, communicating with God. Not just upset, not just mad, but communicating with God. Intercessions is to speak or pray on behalf of someone for their sake. To plead to God on behalf of someone else. And the fourth one, I'm going to tap on this fourth one, the, the uh, fourth encouragement. I'm, I'm going I'm to tap on this because I'm going to come back to and deal with it a little bit later. Because our theme for this month is thankful. That's our sermon series. And so today the title, the subtitle is thankful in all things. So I'm going to come back to that. But the fourth point, the, Paul in, the fourth area that Paul encourages in is the giving of thanks. The word thanks there, if you study in the Greek, it is to express gratitude for benefits. It is a pleasant, elegant, and joyful attitude. That's what it means to be thankful. So Paul is encouraging Timothy because he wants him to communicate this to the church. And I believe he wanted to communicate this to us today. I want there to be supplications. I want there to be prayers. I want there to be intercessions. And yes, I want there to be giving of thanks. For what? Be made for all men. Look at your neighbor and say all. How many know that God wants us praying instead of slandering our leaders? Did y'all hear that? God wants us praying instead of seeking revenge. God wants us praying instead of hating. I've heard some words like, I can't stand Hillary Clinton. I've heard words like, I can't stand Donald Trump. And I've heard this from mouths of believers. I'm going to, how many know that the, that the word of God, oh, Lord, help me to stay grounded this morning. You can't love God and hate people. You can't do it. You are, a, you are not your own you gave your life to Christ. You have no right to hate nobody. God so loved the world that he gave. Those words ought not ever come out of your mouth. What we should be saying is, oh, I got to pray for them because I see that what they're doing is not right. That's one thing. We challenge actions. We challenge wrong behavior, but how many know we love everybody because God so loved the world that he gave. He died for all. How many know God cares? Let's keep going with this. 
Paul says in that verse number two in first Timothy chapter two, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want supplications. I want prayers. I want intercessions be made for all men. All right. But watch it. He takes it a step further. He said, but for kings and all who are in authority. All right. Let me, let's deal with that. So particularly now, Paul is going to address those who are kings. Kings is one who has a king is one who has absolute authority. He he's he's in he's in charge. It would be like a president, a prime min, a prime minister. He is be like it's a it's a akin to a person that's a that's a leader of a nation. And all who are in authority for for to understand what I'm talking about here, all who are in authority are perhaps those who have been put in authority by the king, those who have lesser roles, but yet they're in authority. Paul's says that I want you to pray particularly for, everybody say for. Not against, but what? For. All right? All, he says, pray for all who is what? In authority. What are we praying? We're praying for them. We're praying with a sense of urgency. We're taking our concerns to God. We're trusting God. We're interceding on their behalf because oftentimes, many, how you know, many of our leaders, they don't have a relationship with God. They may say they have a relationship with God, but how many know that a lot of times they don't? And so we got to intercede for them. That's what interceding means. Meaning that God, that, that when we see wrong, we on behalf of people who have no relationship with God, we take the concerns to God on their behalf because they have no authority to do it because they're not in Christ. Y'all understand what I'm saying? You are in Christ. You have authority. We talk about you having uh, the, the, the keys to the kingdom. Binding and loosing, whatever you decide, God is behind you because you represent him. Now, I want to talk about this. So let's let's keep going with this. So understand something. That God has appointed and ordained authority. Let that sink in for a moment. I said God has appointed and ordained authority. Authority. Romans 13 verses 1 and 2 says this. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist, look at this church, are appointed by God. Did y'all get that? The authorities that exist. Oh, y'all work with me. Are appointed by God. Well, I can see, if y'all can see what I'm looking at this morning. Ooh, Lord Jesus. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. For those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, let's, let's, let's extrapolate this a little bit. So the Bible says be subject. That is to, same word for submit to be accountable to, the one exception is obviously when obedience to civil authorities will require disobedience to God, then we don't obey that. How I many know we always go with God? Always. I don't care if they enact laws and those laws 
contradict the word of God, then we always go with the word of God because God determines what's right and what's wrong. Man doesn't. Can I get an amen on that? The authorities that, are, that are, exist are appointed by God. So God is the one that has appointed and ordained authority. Now, he's done this in four areas that I can see. Government, number one, government over citizens. God has established this. Church over believers. This is God thing. Masters over employees. Parents over children. Human government was instituted by God to restrain sin and evil in a fallen world. And to resist the authority that God has put in place is really to resist the protection of God. Now it says there that we bring judgment on ourselves when we are resistant to authority. Now, I want to say something about this because I think it's very important. Satan was booted out of heaven because of his rebellion. Satan didn't like what God was presenting or what God was doing. And so the Bible said that he was kicked out of heaven. The Bible says that woe, woe, woe unto you and heavens on the earth because now he's come down having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Satan is rebellion, is rebellious. And how many know that his, the spirit of rebellion comes from the enemy? See, there's, there's one thing to be rebellious. That's one thing. But the root of rebellion comes from Satan. The spirit of rebellion. So I want you to understand something. So when Christians ought to always have a, an attitude Watch this, of obedience to authority. That's that's just how we operate. We watch this, and we're gonna, we're gonna keep going with this. Now, so so we understand that authority was put in place by God. God has ordained authority for our protection. And we're not to resist. We're not to be, we're, we're talking about authority that is right. We're not talking about resisting, uh, uh we're not talking about authority that has been uh put in place that that, that contradicts the word of God. We're just talking about just authority in general. Most places on the earth, most places have authority in place for our protection. God is behind all that. God established all that. But look what else he says in verse number two. He says now that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. All right. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't speak to wrongs in society. Quiet means that we're just not we're not riotous. We're not troublemakers. How many know the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers? All right. Another characteristic that you are a Christian is that you are a peacemaker. You don't listen. It's not your aim to go stir up stuff just for the sake of stirring up stuff. You know, folk like that. They ain't happy unless they got somebody ticked off. They ain't happy unless they can upset an environment. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are the children of God. God wants us to be a people that have a disposition of peace. Now that the election is over, our attitude as Christians ought to be, hey, peace. We're going to pray. We'll talk about that here some more in a moment. But our attitude is, well, hey, look, we're, we're peace. We're not going to go and try to promote 
anarchy because I'm mad, pastor, because my person didn't get in office. So. How many know that life is kind of designed that way that you don't always get what you want? (laughs) Oh, boy, I'm preaching better than y'all letting on. I'm going to keep going with this. Bible says as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. Brother, I'm not, I'm not going to go starting up. I'm not going to walk in environments and try to start stuff. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be mad. Why? Because I always have my trust in Jesus. No matter what happens, I'm a peacemaker. When you see trouble, we, do you walk in an environment? And do you, how many know that God has called the church to be the referee? Oh, let me, let me help y'all with this. Okay. We watch, how many of you watch football? All right, so everybody knows that the anointing is with the Cowboys in this church. So, all right, so anyway, uh, that was a joke. Y'all couldn't even get. All right, anyway, when two opposing players are on the field, two opposing teams, they're in opposition to each other. There's war, right? I mean, they're there to fight. They're there to get in the end zone. Man, they're there. They're going to fight. They're going to do it. And the referee's job, and you know, the referees are outnumbered every week. There's usually about nine of them. And not only do you have 53 players on each side, not even counting coaches and staff, and you're not even counting all the thousands of people that are in the stands, and you're not even counting all the millions of people that are watching all over the world. And the referees, you ever notice that the, that the referees, for the most part, that they have an agenda that is given to them from New York City, the headquarters, to tell referees that they are to make decisions. Listen, whether they're popular or not, they are to make, this is your mandate, this is the rule book, and they have to follow, and no matter what, even if everybody else is against you, you are the referee, you are to make sure that the game is being played fair. How do you know the church is supposed to make sure that the game is being played fair? We are the referee. We are those people who are in the minority. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? We're in the minority. Our voice is in the minority. But, but, but listen, we stick with truth. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. This is the mandate. This is the book. And, hey, I got to go with what it says. I just can't go and be a rebel unto myself and make up rules because I want my favorite team to win or because I like this one or because I like that one. How many know we got to be more committed to Christ than anything else? The Bible says that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. Well, if you're one of those who feel like you want to go and protest, protest if you wish. But make sure you stay within the boundaries of Scripture. That means no slandering, no destruction of property, no violence. Because God called us to live a quiet and peaceable life. But look at this. Let's take it a step further. In verse 2, he says, with all godliness and reverence. Let's take those two words. How many know that God wants us to be godly? He wants our actions to be godly. I want to ask you a question in Luke of what happened on Tuesday. Have you maintained and have you promoted a godly attitude? Or 
Have you done something else? I know God wants us to be godly in our speech. Everybody say speech. How do you know God wants us to be godly in, in our social media activity, in Twitter, Facebook? You know, if you tweet it, you said it. <laughs> it's coming out of your mouth. You, you hear what I'm saying? The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. All right, so watch this. No corrupt word. Oh, Pastor, I'm good. I ain't saying nothing corrupt. Watch this. I I'm good, but, but he takes it a step further. He said, but, everybody say but. You know, whenever you see but, that means you're about to cancel out something else that was just said. But what is good, everybody say good, for necessary edification, that it may impart grace. Everybody say grace. Grace to the hearers. So what God wants us to do is God wants us to use our speech in such a way, church, that we are imparting grace to people. That we're building up. How many know that you are to be known as a builder of people? Grace, not slandering. We don't slander political candidates. We don't slander Hillary Clinton. We don't slander Donald Trump. We don't slander none of them. Why? Because the Bible says don't do it. Let me show you. Let me take a step further. Some of you looking at, looking at me like, Pastor, you got to prove that to me. All right, let's keep going. So we already know that the Bible says blessing and cursing isn't supposed to come out of the same mouth. That's James 3, 9. How many know that loving your enemies? Loving your enemies is being godly. The enemy is somebody that opposes you. You consider them an enemy. In other words, they don't hold your value. God says, love them. That ain't really deep, is it? Love your enemies. It ain't deep, but it's hard. It's all get up. Love your enemies. Stay away from slander and malicious conversation that doesn't honor God. But then that next word there is reverence. Everybody say reverence. He said with godliness in verse 2 and reverence. The Greek Study of that word is, is really to show respect. It implies honor. Can I say this to you? I don't know where all the political views are, but I will say this to you. God called us to honor and respect our leaders. Everybody say respect. <laughs> Hard, ain't it? Boy, it's like giving Castro oil to folks who are just kicking and screaming. They don't want this medicine. You may not like Donald Trump, but you got to respect him. Well, well, well. Or why? Because God says do it. And where do you get your orders from? God. Now, I, I thought I was talking to Christians. I don't hear a lot of amens in here this morning. I thought I was talking to people that knew their Bibles. I thought. He said, with all reverence, and respect. Make sure that your conversation is conversation that edifies, build up, and that we show respect. Why? Because he said, Paul says, I want you to pray for those who are in authority, supplication, prayers, intercession. I want you to give thanks for kings, all those who are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life and all godliness and reverence. I'm going to be respectful. 
How many know that, that you, don't res- you don't disrespect? You don't re- disrespect any, li- listen, there, there are people, and I've heard, and you all seen it, there, there are people that disrespect our, our current president. You don't disrespect. I don't care. Listen, it don't matter who you voted for. How many know that, 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 that we, don't, we don't disrespect our leaders? God said, no, I want you to pray for them. I'm convinced that we did more praying than we did talking about our leaders that perhaps some of them would get saved. I'm going to talk about that here in a moment, in a second. Now, so he says, he goes on to say in verse 3, in that same verse, watch this, no, in verse 3, for this is good, everybody say good, and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, all right? If I were to ask any one of you, how many of you, Want to know God's will. Most would be like, oh, God's pastor, I want to know God's will. And I said, how many of you would, once you know God's will, you'd be committed to God's will? Oh, pastor, I want to do God's will. It might be hard, but pastor, I want to do it. Well, he says here, how many know that, that our number one goal is we want to live our life in such a way we want to please God? Anybody here want to please God with your life? I, I don't know about you. I just want God to be pleased with me. I don't care. Listen, I love you to death. You are special to me. But I said, before when I was preparing this message, I said, Lord, all I want to know, feel like, Lord, is when I got done doing this, that I please you. The folk may not like it, but, Lord, I want to make sure that I please you. Because why? Because that's what I live for. It's Paul said to Timothy, he says, for this is good, Timothy, and this is acceptable in the sight of God. In other words, this is what pleases God. What, well, Pastor, what pleases God? That we pray for our leaders, that, 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 that we intercede for them, that we trust God for them. Jesus gives us an example of sometimes when we're asked to do something that we don't want to do, because I understand that we all have to deal with our fleshly man. Depending on what side of the aisle you're on, it's easier to do. I understand that. It says in Matthew 26, 38 and 39, then he said to them, my soul, this is Jesus, he's about to die, give us life for your sins and my sins. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. How many know that the true mark of a Christian that is growing is that they're more committed to God's will than they are to their own desires and their fleshly appetites? That's the determination of whether or not you're growing. Jesus gives us the primary example. This is hard. Jesus, but Jesus has been, he, Jesus been with the Father from the beginning of the Word, from the beginning of the world. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus had never known to be separated like this. And he had to take on all the sins of the world. And he said, Father, is that another way? Is any of you, some of you right now, you're sitting here saying this morning, Pastor, is there another way? No. This is what God is saying to all of us. Look at the name and say, nevertheless. Come on, look at the name and say, nevertheless. I'm going to obey God. This is what Jesus says. But, but not as I will, but as, as you want. In other words, God, I want what you want. Now, let's take it a step further. Look at he says in verse number four. So, first of all, we understand this is acceptable in the sight of God. God wants us to pray. God wants us to intercede. God wants us to give thanks to them. God says, okay, this is what pleases me, guys. 
This is the Holy Spirit speaking. God said, this pleases me. So you want to please me? Do this. Verse number four, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, now, are you still with me? Say amen. You got to stay with me on this. Listen. God desires that all men, all women be saved and that they come to a knowledge of the truth. So here's what, what, let's look at this verse. So this whole passage is leading up to this point. Why we want to pray for our leaders. Why we want to, why we want to care for them in that way. Why do we want to be respectful? Why do we want to be godly? Why do we want to, why? Because God wants them to be saved. Let me ask you a question. How many of you took time and prayed for Hillary Clinton's salvation as much as you talked about it? How many of you prayed for Donald Trump's salvation as much as you talked about him? How much praying did you do? Remember, God does what he does through his church. So, you know, God's church, see, judgment must first begin at the what? The house of God. What God had to do first is fix his church. Then when God fixed his church, then now God can do something with the world. Now, watch this. So, we got to make sure that, that we're in sync with God. See, our goal, a lot of times, is to elect a president that will line up with our political agenda. God's goal is to save them. Our goal is to brag about how our chosen one won the White House. Oh, we put the bumper stickers on the car. Clinton came, Pence Trump, we do all that, right? Or Trump, Pence. So our goal is to brag about all that, but God's goal, God's goal is to save them. Our goal is to celebrate and rejoice that our candidate won, and God's goal is to save them. Now, y'all hear what I'm saying? What is God's goal? God died for their salvation. The church, how many know that this is not about who lands in the White House? This is about salvation. Are y'all not listening to me this morning? This is about salvation. This is about the souls of men. That's what this is about. So we're doing all these things. Why? So then that, that, that they will be saved. God's want them to come to a knowledge of the truth. We want to exalt Jesus. So our prayer should be that not only that does God save, but that God surround our, our current president, our new president, he will surround them with godly people that, 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 that will influence him for the kingdom of God, that he will get saved. Let me tell you, could you imagine a saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, Donald Trump? Now, I know for some of you, some of you laugh like, whoa, whoa, that's a big one. Hey, hey check yourself. Because you ain't all that in the bag of chips. You ain't who you think you are. You are what you are because God did it. And how many know if God saved you, God can save Donald Trump, and God can put people around Donald Trump that will represent God's will in the earth? Could you imagine? But some of us can't even imagine that because you never thought about that because you have been hoodwinked and you thought it was all about your politics. And you missed it that it's all about the kingdom. Politics 
take a back seat to the kingdom. That's what God is about. See, so if you're sitting here, you're upset and you're mad, where are your priorities? Where, I mean, what happened to you? Where are you? Where are you? Where, uh, did, did God somehow, is he off the throne now? Of course not. God has always been about the salvation of men. It's about souls. It's, about, it's not about elephant and donkeys. Are you hearing me? None of them are in heaven. Everything that God does, everything that God is doing. If you hear anything else I said in this message, I want you to hear this. Everything that God is doing in the earth, in any nation, it is for the furtherance of his kingdom. That's it. Every earthly system. Let me, let me give you a shocker because some of you don't realize this. Every nation on the planet that exists today, including America, is coming down at some point. It's not going to last forever. Are y'all hearing that? Christ is forever, not Batman. And I love Batman. I love me some Batman. I think he's the baddest dude. I love it. But Batman is not forever. Christ is forever. So why am I tripping over a political system that I already know is doomed? As if, God, I'm going to transfer that to to heaven with me. You see how we, how, you see how the devil pulled the wool over our eyes and we missed the point? Listen, I understand. I voted. I participated in the process. But I trust God. I know what God is doing. Because it's not about just what I think. It's about exalting Christ. Now, let's go back to verse number one. Therefore, first of all, it's therefore I exhort first of all, the supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks, and giving of thanks, and giving of thanks, and giving of thanks. Y'all getting it? And giving of thanks, and giving of thanks, and giving of thanks be made for all men. <laughs> God calls us to give thanks. I give thanks. For my new president. I'm going to give thanks for him. Because he's good? No. Because she would have been good? No. I give thanks because God is good. And his mercy endures forever. I give thanks because I know that God is working. How many believe that God is working? Don't you lose your faith. Don't you? You got to know that God is working. First Thessalonians 5, 18 says this. In everything. Everybody say everything. In everything. Give thanks. Oh, God. You mean, but what about, I know there's some things. How many of you have some things you don't like? I'll be the first one. He says in everything. Give thanks. In fact, there's another part in James, I believe, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and hardships and trials. He said, count it up as joy. You're not, you're not saying you love the circumstance. You're just saying that you believe that your God is involved and that ultimately all things will work together for your good. How many of you believe that? So why should, 
So listen, so why should we be thankful in all things? For four things I want you to ask. Why, why, why can we be thankful? Four things. Why should we be thankful in all things? Number one, here's a good one for you. Here's a revelation. Because God said it. That should be good enough, right? How many of you want to be obedient to God? I'm going to be thankful in all things. Because I don't care. As I said last week, it doesn't matter what you have going on in your life. I'm sure that you just, just give me a sneak peek of your life. I can give you 20 things. I give every one of you before you leave. If you don't feel, you can't find nothing to be thankful for in your life, get back and check with me. I'll, I'll spot you. Just let me peek a little bit. I bet you I can find at least 15, 20 things you can be thankful for. Because God has blessed. I'm sitting here looking at a bunch of blessed people before me today. All of you look fat, healthy. Nobody looked like they missed a million weeks, years. You don't look like you've been living on the streets. You don't look like you're in disease. You're dying. You look like there's life in you. God has blessed you. I can be thankful, number two, because I know God is in control. God has always been in control. You got surprised, but how do you know God didn't get surprised? And one of the things I learned about God anyway, God is full of surprises. Isn't that great? How do you love roller coasters? I personally don't like them. But one of the reasons why the crazy people who like roller coasters like roller coasters, I call y'all crazy, um, is because you like the twisty, you like the turns, and you like to be, you, you just like the, all that activity. But I don't know, I'm going to feel that drop. I know it's coming, it's coming. It's you. you know, I'm one of those brothers be like, oh, dad, get me off of here. I pass out. That's just me. I'm like that. I'm messing with roller coasters. I ain't my anointing. I stay in my place in Jesus' name. But one of the beautiful things about God is, God is full of surprises. I was laughing after what happened on Tuesday. I just laughed. I said, God, what are you up to now? Because everybody, everybody's like, oh, even the folks that were, listen, even the folks that were voting for Donald Trump, they were like, oh, 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 oh. I mean, everybody's like, what, what, what happened? And I just said, God, what are you doing? It's going to, whatever God's doing, it's going to be good. I know it's going to work out for my good because I'm his child. I'm happy. God does some crazy stuff sometimes. Who would have ever thought it? But this is the kind of God that we serve. God always reads your Bible. God always does things counter to what we think. It's just a pattern with God. God always do. He anoint people that we think ain't all to be anointed. He called people to preach who ain't supposed to be preaching. He called people who are low and he bring them up high. He brought, they, the Bible talked and prophesied that Christ was going to come and they thought he was coming on a high horse. He came on a donkey. They didn't see it. God always does crazy stuff that blows your mind. But that's what God does. He's in control. Stop tripping. Stop acting like everybody. Not be all, oh, man. It ain't doom and gloom for you. are the people of God. You are to personify optimism because of who you serve. You can be thankful because God has a purpose in it all. Ah, I don't know what God is up to. I don't know what he's doing exactly, but I tell you what, I just want to be found doing what I'm supposed to do. And, and you know what? And the, the good thing that I know, church, is that nothing just 
happens. I had a preacher a long time ago preach a message like that. Nothing just happens. I don't believe in luck. I believe in purpose. I believe in destiny. No, no luck happened in my life. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are what? Ordered by God. You think you're in control. You ain't in control of nothing. You ain't in control of nothing. Nothing just happens. God is in control, and he has a purpose of it. So I know that he, he, God commands me to be thankful. I can be thankful because I know that God is in control, and that includes the election. God was always in control. This is great. I know God has a purpose in it all. I may not understand it. I may not even like it, but Lord, nevertheless, some of us just need a nevertheless anointing. Look at the name and say, nevertheless. <laughs> Not as I will, God, but as you will. Whatever you want, God, I'm with you. If this is what you're doing, God, let's go. I'm with you, God. Lastly, the reason I can be thankful is because Jesus is coming back. Oh, okay. I, I, I alluded to it just a few moments ago that all that we know is temporal. You not know when you got saved. Saved means you got saved from something. That's what saved. Saved means that you were on a pathway to destruction and you got saved. You got pulled out. How many know you've been pulled out of darkness? You've been pulled out of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world, right? You're in the world, but you're not of it. So whatever has transpired, listen to me, church. Whatever has transpired this past Tuesday, whatever is transpiring in your life, trouble, hardship, whatever you're going through, can I say something to you? It is temporary. It's temporary. It's not going to be forever. I love America. In my estimation, greatest country on the planet, that's just me. I love my nation. I don't agree with those that step on the flag. And I, I just, that's just me. I just don't. I, I just don't. I, I think because I believe in some ways God has blessed this, this nation and used this nation. Even though this nation has drifted away from God in a lot of ways, she's drifted. But I'm thankful for everything that God is doing in my life because God is doing it. I'm thankful because I'm in America today because God decided to put me here. I'm going to be thankful for my country. I'm going to be thankful for those who serve. I'm going to honor and represent and respect my God. This is just, this is just the way I believe we should live. This is the way I live. But well, Jesus is coming back. And you know what? He can come back tomorrow. And if you're sitting here angry, shame on you. I bet you when you see him, the first thing you don't, I bet one, you ain't going to say nothing about Donald Trump. You ain't going to say nothing about Hillary Clinton. You ain't going to say nothing about Barack Obama. You're going to look at Jesus and oh my God, you're going to fall flat. Everything will be forgotten. It won't matter. That's why we can be thankful. First Peter 3.15, and I'm done. Because this is what God is doing. Somebody, but Pastor, what is God doing? This is it right here. This is the culmination of everything I said this morning. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you 
a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You want to draw people to you so you can draw them to Christ. I, let me say that you want to draw, don't let your politics blind you to the reality of what God has called you to do. I want to draw people to me so that I can present Jesus. I want to be ready. In other words, he's saying, whatever you do, be ready. Because how many know that there, this right now, and this is the moment, you know, there's a lot of people on the street. There's a lot of people upset. There's a lot of people hurting. Can I say this to you? There's a lot of people. This is an opportunity to reach a lot of those people with the gospel. How many, how many know that many times God get people when they're at their lowest point, when they feel hopeless? This is an opportunity. There are some people in this country right now, just because one man got elected, they feel hopeless. You don't because you're a Christian. You know better. You've been taught better. You don't. You're not. But there are a lot of people out there that you see some of the faces. They're crying. They're messed up. This is an opportunity. Opportunity for it's like, wow, God, now I can go and share Jesus. Yes, God does have his hand on America. No doubt about it. God has his hand on this nation. He is bringing men and women in this country to a place where they will all fall down and say, what must I do to be saved? And in this, we can all be thankful. You received that? Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Every head is bowed. Their eyes closed.